Welcome to the U.S. Update, the program featuring today's news from the United States. Your volunteer reader today is Donna Kakonge. Our top story, Abuse Photos Part of Agreement on Military Spending, is the title of this article by Carl Hulse and David M. Herchenhorn from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. Washington. Congressional negotiators reached tentative agreement on Thursday on a $105.9 billion spending measure that would provide money for military operations in Iraq and Afghanistan through September, but would drop a ban on the release of photographs showing abuse of foreign prisoners held by United States forces. The deal was concluded after Ram Emanuel, the White House Chief of Staff, went to the Capitol to assure Senate Democrats that President Obama would use all administrative and legal means to prevent the photo's release. At the same time, a federal court issued a ruling effectively ensuring that the photos would not be released for months ever. Mr. Obama followed up with a letter promising to work with Congress if legislation was necessary to keep the photos from being publicized, but urging lawmakers not to let the dispute interfere with freeing up the money for the armed forces. Given the singular importance of providing funding for our troops, it is essential that Congress pass the Supplemental Appropriations Bill, Mr. Obama wrote in the letter, which was read publicly at the negotiating session by Senator Daniel K. Inouye, Democrat of Hawaii and the Appropriations Committee Chairman. The photo restriction approved by the Senate was viewed by some Democratic House members as an end run around federal freedom of information laws. It was dropped to appease Democrats already uneasy about approving nearly $80 billion for combat and more money for aid to Afghanistan and Pakistan. Democrats said they could not secure enough votes to pass the bill if the photo ban were included, but Republicans threatened to try to block the measure if the ban were cut out, saying the photos could incite terrorists and endanger Americans overseas. What good are we to our soldiers if we can't protect them in a time like this, asked Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina. Every photo is a bullet for our enemy. He and his allies, including Senator Joseph I. Lieberman, independent of Connecticut, said Mr. Obama should take executive action to block the release of the photos by ordering them classified. The administration's cause was bolstered when a federal appeals court in New York announced last Thursday that it had granted a request by the Obama administration and recalled its April 27th order to release the photographs permitting the administration to take the case to the Supreme Court. In effect, the decision by a three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit means it will be months before there is any chance that the Defense Department could be ordered to release the photographs.
Amrit Singh, a lawyer for the American Civil Liberties Union, which is seeking the release of the photographs as part of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, said she was disappointed by the court's ruling. It will only serve to delay further the release of these photographs, which are critical for informing the ongoing public debate about the treatment of prisoners, she said. Ms. Singh said the photos portrayed abuse in Afghanistan and Iraq in places other than Abu Ghraib prison, the Iraq jail made infamous in 2004 by photographs of abuse there and would therefore show that abuse was not aberrational but systemic. The photo issue is just one of several that are likely to generate opposition to the bill, which would also set aside $7.7 billion to prepare for a flu pandemic, provide $1 billion to encourage consumers to trade in older cars for more fuel-efficient models, and allow detainees at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, Center to be brought to the United States for trial. The measure also clears the way for a $100 billion line of credit for the International Monetary Fund, which was the initial source of trouble for the spending bill. Republicans strongly supported the spending legislation when it was considered this year, but have threatened to withhold their support over the foreign aid, saying some of the money could go to unfriendly governments. With Republicans abandoning the measure, Democrats need as many votes as they can win over, and the ban on releasing the photos emerged as a major obstacle. In the meeting of House and Senate negotiators late Thursday afternoon, efforts to reinstate the ban were beaten back. Some lawmakers also questioned including $1 billion to encourage owners of older cars to trade them in for more fuel-efficient models. That program, known as Cash for Clunkers, is nominally aimed at helping the environment and reducing carbon emissions, but many lawmakers who pushed for it were primarily interested in lifting vehicle sales to prop up the struggling auto industry. The provision had not originally been included by either the House or Senate, and critics, mainly Republicans, but also some Democrats, charged that it was a brazen giveaway of tax dollars to bankrupt auto companies that already received billions in federal bailout assistance, but an effort to eliminate the money was defeated. The bill also includes aid million dollars to pay for a new commission to examine the causes of the financial and economic crisis. Abuse Photos Part of Agreement on Military Spending was the title of that article by Carl Hulse and David M. Herchenhorn from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. Obama Takes His Health Care Case to the Public is the title of this article by Cheryl Gay Stolberg and Robert Pear from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. Green Bay, Wisconsin. President Obama taking his case for a health care overhaul directly to the American people on Thursday vigorously defended his call for a government-sponsored health plan to compete with private insurers. But back in Washington, a leading Senate Democrat seemed to be looking for a compromise that would limit government involvement.
Mr. Obama came to Green Bay, a city he praised for getting more quality out of fewer health care dollars than many other communities, as part of an intense push for overhauling health care, his highest legislative priority. But with his insistence on a public option generating increased skepticism on Capitol Hill, he defended it as necessary to spur competition in the marketplace. If the private insurance companies have to compete with a public option, it will keep them honest and it will help keep their prices down, Mr. Obama said. Arguing that controlling health costs is crucial to the nation's economic health, he said Republican criticism of a public plan was unfounded. Right now, a number of my Republican friends have said, we can't support anything with a public option, he said. It's not clear that it's based on any evidence, as much as it is their thinking, their fear, that somehow once you have a public plan, the government will take over the entire health care system. But Mr. Obama neglected to mention that some centrist Democrats have qualms about a new government health plan. Senator Max Baucus of Montana, the chairman of the Finance Committee, who is leading an effort to draft a health care bill, said Thursday that the public plan could take the form of an insurance cooperative that would be owned and operated for the benefit of its members, but not run by the government. I am inclined, and I think the committee is inclined, toward a co-op, Mr. Baucus said. It's not going to be public. We won't call it public, but it will be tough enough to keep insurance companies' feet to the fire. The Senate Finance Panel plans to take up the legislation on June 23rd. Aides to Mr. Baucus said the bill the committee would consider would be jointly offered by Mr. Baucus and Senator Charles Z. Grassley of Iowa, the senior Republican on the panel. Mr. Obama has said he wants bipartisan support for a health care bill. Whether he would accept the co-op idea is unclear. A number of alternatives are being considered on Capitol Hill, and Mr. Obama has not addressed any of them specifically. His deputy press secretary, Bill Burton, said Thursday that the president wanted to remain flexible. But the co-op idea might address some concerns of the American Medical Association, the nation's largest doctors group, which has expressed strong opposition to a government-run plan. The association said it was willing to consider a co-op health plan. Mr. Obama plans to travel to Chicago on Monday to speak to the group. The idea of creating health insurance cooperatives was first floated as a possible compromise by Senator Kent Conrad, Democrat of North Dakota. Under Mr. Conrad's approach, a co-op would be run by members at a state or even national level. He posited that such a co-op could begin with some seed money, receive a federal charter, collect premiums, and provide benefits for its members. Mr. Obama began the health care debate this year by setting out his goals in broad strokes. He wants to extend health care to the nation's 45 million uninsured, while preserving consumer choice and cutting health care costs. He said at first he would leave the details to Congress, but over the past week he has been increasingly involved in the legislative process.
In a letter to top Senate Democrats last week, he stated his strong preference for a public plan. The appearance in a high school gymnasium here on Thursday, however, was the first time Mr. Obama had used his presidential platform to defend the idea at length. He said the public option would ensure coverage for people where the free market system fails, adding, we've got to admit that the free market has not worked perfectly when it comes to health care. The idea of a public option also has strong support from the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California. At her weekly news conference on Thursday, Ms. Pelosi asserted that a public option would indeed be part of any legislation emanating from the House and said she would be opposed to a co-op proposal offered as a substitute for a public option. In the Senate, Republicans expressed alarm at the shape of legislation being developed by Senators Edward M. Kennedy of Massachusetts and Christopher J. Dodd of Connecticut, both Democrats. Senator Orrin J. Hatch, Republican of Utah, called the bill the most liberal bunch of gobbledygook I've seen in my life, a complete liberal mishmash of ideas. Senator Michael B. Enzi of Wyoming, the senior Republican on the Health Committee, said the Democrats are more concerned about meeting deadlines than getting it right. Senator Judd Gregg, Republican of New Hampshire, said the Democrats were rushing headlong into this reform without knowing the cost of their proposals. Obama Takes His Health Care Case to the Public was the title of the article by Cheryl Gay Stolberg and Robert Pear from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. You're listening to the U.S. Update on VoicePrint. Six Detainees Are Freed As Questions Linger is the title of this article by William Glaberson from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. Washington. The Obama administration released six Guantanamo detainees to other countries on Thursday, including four Chinese Muslims whose cases drew wide attention as the president has struggled to meet his goal of closing the prison by January. The day's events were the biggest steps the administration has taken toward that goal. But the moves did not address central questions, including whether political pressure had made the administration back away from meeting the demand of some countries that the United States accept some prisoners for resettlement to gain their cooperation in accepting others. The Chinese prisoners from the largely Muslim Uyghur region of western China arrived in Bermuda early in the day and expressed relief at their first taste of freedom in more than seven years. Today you have let freedom ring, one of the Uyghur men, Abdul Nasser, said in a statement thanking the Bermudians. In a long legal fight, a federal appeals court had ridiculed as inadequate the government's evidence against one of the men, and the Bush administration had conceded that one of the 17 Uyghurs held at the Guantanamo were enemy combatants. Two other detainees, an Iraqi and a Chadian, were released Thursday to their countries. They were indications that the United States was close to releasing a few other detainees as well. 
On top of Thursday's departures, there were numerous other signs of the aggressive diplomacy on Guantanamo that has taken place largely out of public view since President Obama was inaugurated. European countries moved Thursday toward cooperating with one another to work with the Obama administration in evaluating other detainees for possible resettlement there. There have also been recent signs that the administration is increasingly hopeful of persuading Saudi Arabia to accept some of the 96 Yemeni detainees who remain at the prison camp. Earlier this week, the Pacific nation of Palau said it too would accept some of the Uyghur prisoners, though it was not clear it would take all of the 13 remaining men. The developments amounted to more movement than there had been in a long time on closing the prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, a seemingly intractable issue for two administrations, said Ken Good, a specialist on detention issues at the Center for American Progress in Washington. This is closing Guantanamo. This is what it looks like, Mr. Good said. President George W. Bush long said he wanted to close the prison but could not overcome the considerable difficulties of where to send the men and how to assure American security. On his second day in office, Mr. Obama committed to closing the prison within a year. After the releases on Thursday, there were 232 detainees. But the recent events also underscored the challenges that remain. After the departures from Guantanamo became public on Thursday, American critics of the administration accused the president of releasing terrorists. In addition, a spokesman for the Foreign Ministry of China, which has long demanded the return of the Uyghurs, called the four men in Bermuda terrorists, suspects, and asserted that the United States was ignoring international law by failing to turn them over to China. American officials have said for years that they could not return the Uyghurs to China for fear of persecution or execution. Bermuda's acceptance of the men even brought unusual turbulence between it, a British territory and Britain itself. The British government, which has control over Bermuda's foreign policy, issued a terse statement indicating that Bermuda's premier, Ewart F. Brown, did not advise it that Bermuda was planning to take the detainees. The British statement said it would carry out a security assessment of the men. The statement added, We have underlined to the Bermuda government that it should have consulted the UK. Lawyers for the Iraqi, who was released, Jawar Jabber Sadkan al-Salhani, said he was an innocent man caught in the net of Guantanamo an assertion that focused attention on disputes over the isolated prison that the Obama administration is trying to push into the past. The criticism from at home and the intensity of the reactions abroad illustrate the challenges the Obama administration faces in closing Guantanamo, detention policy experts said. They said the recent moves raised new questions about the administration's strategy for closing the prison.
Indications that the administration had negotiated with other countries to accept perhaps all of the 17 Uyghurs made it appear that it had backed down in the face of intense political pressure in Congress and around the country from what had seemed to be its plan to resettle some of the Uyghurs in the United States, the expert said. Sarah E. Mendelson at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington said that there had been an understanding across the political spectrum that the Uyghurs, enemies of China, whose terrorism ties were sharply disputed, were the least controversial detainees to bring into the United States for potential release. If the Obama administration has no plans to accept any detainees, Ms. Mendelssohn said, other countries are likely to say, why are you asking us to do this if you are not willing to? Six detainees are freed as questions linger was the title of that article by William Glaberson from the June 12th edition of the New York Times. This is the U.S. Update on Voice Print. I'm your volunteer reader, Donna Kakonge. Coming up, the latest headlines from around the world. The International Report is next. Texas Storms Flood. Cancel Flights Shut Off Power is the title of this article published June 12th from the Associated Press Newswire. Dallas AP. A series of powerful storms packing heavy rains and frequent lightning strikes grounded dozens of flights, left hundreds of thousands without power, and caused widespread damage across portions of Texas on Thursday. No deaths or injuries were reported from the storms that began whipping the Dallas-Fort Worth area Wednesday night with winds up to 70 miles per hour. By the time the storms cleared the city, some areas of Dallas got more than 8 inches of rain. More than 180,000 homes and businesses were without power. Thursday night, said Megan Wright, a spokeswoman for Encore Electric Delivery. More than 400 flights were cancelled Thursday at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport before they resumed operating later in the day. Ground workers were brought in from outside part of the day because of the lightning in the area, said airport spokesman David Magana. Southwest Airlines, which flies out of Dallas Love Field, canceled 21 flights Thursday because of the weather. 15 of those were in Dallas. Another 13 planes were diverted in the height of the morning storms, and dozens of flights were delayed across the country, company spokesman Brad Hawkins said. They expected the storms to develop and move through. Then they just parked, he said. That's what threw everything for a loop. Dallas workers were trying to repair a pump that moves groundwater from a West Dallas neighborhood into the Trinity River after the pump was struck by lightning. Another pump was still working, city spokeswoman Daniel McLennan said. We just hope this rain holds off so we can get this one pump fixed. We're in a wait-and-see mode, McClellan said. The marina at Eagle Mountain Lake in Fort Worth sustained millions of dollars worth of damage and was closed. The storms damaged the marina's roof, smashed docks, and turned boats upside down, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported.
Michelle Levitsky of Frisco, just north of Dallas, says the winds bewildered her farm animals. When the storm hit, they started running around, running into each other. The goats were being knocked over and tumbling. The chickens, we had their wings clipped. They were in the air, just being picked up by the wind, she told KDFW-TV of Dallas and Fort Worth. She said all survived. A second wave of severe weather took aim on central Texas last Thursday, downing trees and power lines in Burnett County and forcing authorities in Williamson County to reroute 911 calls. Texas Storms Flood Cancel Flights Shut Off Power was the title of that article published June 12th from the Associated Press Newswire. Ten-year sentence in L.A. body parts trafficking case is the title of this article published June 12th from the Associated Press Newswire. Los Angeles AP. A former mortuary worker convicted of carving up and selling cadavers donated to the University of California at Los Angeles' medical school was sentenced to 10 years in prison Thursday and ordered to pay more than $1.7 million. Jurors had found Ernest Nelson, 51, guilty of eight counts, including grand theft and tax evasion after a trial that detailed how he and Henry Reed, the former director of UCLA's Willed Body Program, conspired to sell body parts from donated cadavers to enrich themselves. This is one of those cases so outrageous it doesn't come along very often, said Superior Court Judge Curtis Rapp. It's unusual only for the audacity with which the defendant acted. Deputy District Attorney Marissa Zarate said the facts of the case take your breath away. She said that while Reed aided in the scheme, it was Nelson who walked into freezers, dismembered bodies, packaged the parts, and delivered them to buyers across the country, including research firms and hospitals. She said the scheme went undetected for five years. He took enough body parts to make $1.5 million, she said, noting that he sometimes took the funds to direct check cashing stores to hide the proceeds. Reed pleaded guilty earlier and was sentenced to more than four years in prison. Dr. Thomas Rosenthal, Associate Vice Chancellor at the UCLA School of Medicine, told the judge that everyone in the school is angry at the betrayal of trust. Outside court, prosecutors Zarate and Eugene Han. Rathan said they were pleased with the sentence. They said Nelson would be given credit for about three years he has served in prison. He will be eligible for parole after serving half his total sentence, said Harahan. Investigators traversed the country to gather evidence in the case. It was really eye-opening to see how this quiet and not well-known medical research industry works, Zarate said. What is shocking is that there are no state or federal regulations on body parts. Ten-year sentence in L.A. body parts trafficking case was the title of that article published June 12th from the Associated Press Newswire. You've been listening to the U.S. Update. Your volunteer reader today has been Donna Kakonge. Your producer was Tony King. Thank you for listening to VoicePrint.